Welcome to Nerds of the Table, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. Or, I'm Derek Smalls. I'm Nigel. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can be Nigel. I'm oh, David right. St. Hubert. No. <laughs> <laughs> what is he the saint of? Anyway, Dwayne, tell us what we reviewed and why we're acting so stupid right now. Well, we are reviewing a movie uh, whose rating on IMDb actually goes to 11. (laughs) Um, I love that they've done that, and I love that this movie is a thing. 1984, uh, Rob Reiner didn't only bring us to Princess Bride in the 80s. He brought us This Is Spinal Tap. So we have Christopher Guest... uh, Michael McKean, Harry Shearer, a ton of cameos. Mm-hmm. Rob Reiner uh, playing the director, Marty DeBerge, as I referenced last week and confused Jamie very much. Yeah, <laughs> I was lost. <laughs> um, this is Spinal Tap, a rockumentary, as you would say, a parody of bands. Um, I, it's I just a can't bad, though. To, I just can't wait to get into this. <laughs> You know, it's like rockumentary, mockumentary. What is it? <laughs> well, we're having a lot of fun with it. Before we finish having fun with this is Spinal Tap, I think we need to keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. And Dwayne, you are first out of the gates. All righty. Well, as I kind of referenced earlier, um, my Keeping It 100 is another Rob Reiner pickup. Family's actually watching it right now in the other room. The Princess Bride. Um, actually, an episode we've uh, show that we've covered on an episode uh, our Wilcon um, mm-hmm. live show. Uh, the Princess Bride. Uh, Carrie Ellis, uh, Robin Wright, before she was a pin. Uh, Mandy Patinkin, Andre the Giant. I... I it's it's a comedy. It's a love story. It's an action story. It's a great movie. But that's that's going to be my keeping one hundred. Just, just that's all I'm going to say. And Billy Crystal's the through line between that movie and this. And yes, this is true. We have a we have more than more than one cross over. <laughs> and I, and I'm always shocked by how many people haven't seen that movie. So you keep pushing it. I'm for it. Oh yeah, Sorry. oh yeah, definitely. Well, you know, we have, you know, like I said, we have Rob Reiner, we have Christopher Guest, and Billy Crystal's crossovers between mm-hmm. the two. Yeah. And Rob Reiner's hat. <laughs> yeah, that the hat the hat he wears in this movie is Mar- Marty DeBerge is on is in Fred Savage's bedroom mm-hmm. in yeah. a Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. Not not that I spent too much time on the trivia page of IMDb this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, I'm up next, and I've got a a. A revisit to an old one. Um, I'd say probably a year ago. Uh, pitched a podcast called House to Astonish. And it's a British podcast about uh, comic books. And it's, it's a, So their main show is about like, the first half is probably like comic book news. And like the last half of the show is comic book reviews. And <laughs> they only put an episode about every month or six weeks or so. And they even felt bad. Like they would every time they like, kind of apologize on their episode. Like, sorry, we know it's been a long time. Um, but they, they said they kind of wait and let the news build up. So they found they wanted to do a, a, find a way to have more frequent podcasts. What they've decided to do is a uh, read through, a comic book read through of the 1990s Thunderbolts series. 
And the first episode of that came out this week, and those two guys are so eccentric is probably the right word. They're just they're hilarious, and it's a dis- distinctly British version of eccentric, talking about an over the top, you know, silly American comic book series from 1990s comic books. It's a really good time if you read comics at all. If you enjoy just you know British humor, I recommend House to Astonish, and they're new in between episodes, and that's my keeping one hundred. Hmm. So, so their schedule's about like my uh, one thin dime right now. So, <laughs> I'll get back to it. <laughs> All right. So, um, I'm going to keep the the comic book love going for my keeping a one hundred. You know, as of our recording and then release of this episode, One Division is at its mid season. But I want to challenge our readers to look into maybe some of the, I guess, I guess the, the, the source material, where this came from. And I've got some suggestions. So I don't only just have one thing for Keep It 100. I've got a few suggestions. So I would suggest Vision and Scarlet Witch, the 12-issue miniseries, not the four-issue, Jamie, uh, by Mark Grunewald and Richard Howe, West Coast Avengers Vision Quest by John Byrne, House of M by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. Avengers Disassembled by Brian Michael Bendis and David Finch. The Avengers 12-issue, or I'm sorry, The Vision 12-issue series by Tom King and Gabriel Walta. And, you know, that's a good starting point. And I've read all that this week. So uh, it's worth it. So check it out and, and enjoy WandaVision in the, in the meantime. That's probably way over 100, guys. Sorry. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking, I mean, it's skipping 100 where we recommend one thing in 100 seconds, not 100 things. <laughs> <laughs> each of those has such a piece of what we've seen in one division. So I think any of those have been better than what we picked for, uh, <laughs> for graphically novel. The four issues were rough. The 12-issue series is better. That followed that one. So. I forget which podcast it was. I think I may have misunderstood for the four issue versus the 12 issue. I may have just misunderstood, went to the wrong one. But yeah, that one we covered had nothing to do with the show. There's no inspiration there. <laughs> <laughs> well, a thing that does uh, very much have to do with this show is uh, our uh, thoughts and grades for This is Spinal Tap. Jamie, lead us out the gate on this. You're the opening act. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I read that trivia too. <laughs> <read> that one. <laughs> Definitely not that. Definitely not that opening act. <laughs> uh, this movie was a lot of fun. I had more fun than I expected, and it's it's almost more fun to talk about with friends than it is to actually watch. Um, it it was a good laugh, you know. And I was in I was in bands for a couple of years in high school, and I was the goofy bass player. Um. And they, and they really nail the sort of the weird dynamics of the inside of a band and the way that works. But it, it didn't completely knock my socks off. Um, I don't know how often I'm going to revisit the movie. It's just fun. Maybe if I like, start to lose some of the quotes in my head and I want to start joking about it with you, know, <laughs> you guys again, I might rewatch <laughs> it. But I did have a good enough time with it. Um, B plus. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I mentioned to you fellas off off air, this was my first ever watch through for This Is Spinal Tap. 
Um, obviously, I was immediately caught by the whole rockumentary, mockumentary nature of the movie. Um, I did think it was interesting that when you look at the history of, of so many successful bands, it, it this is just such, such a true mirror of that. Uh, we see all those arcs and, and, you know, Rob Reiner really brings that to the film, I think. And if you're a fan of music, I think so many pieces of, of this are immediately recognizable. Um, it is the interesting collection of characters. You know, we mentioned Billy Crystal, right? But there's also Patrick McNee who played Sir Dennis Eaton Hogg, who was John Steed on the British, the Avengers spy series back in the sixties. So just one of those weird off-the-wall actors that gets brought in. Um, but I think Reiner does a really good job kind of at least reining those three in to try to get something out of it that, that's intelligible. Uh, I, I'm going to agree with, with Jamie, though. I'm going to go B+. I was wondering how long it would take Sammy to uh, tie one of those British actors to Doctor Who or something. <laughs> I was waiting for a Doctor Who reference. I, I really was. <laughs> Yeah, I went with the Avengers this time. So. Yeah, you have quite a few, and and, and I noticed that you know, like you said, the the McNee, uh, uh, I know he was uh, in a lot of a lot of things there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm I'm tell you, I'm going to go ahead and drop my grade because I'm right in there with you guys. This is a great movie. It doesn't reach the A range for me, but it's so close. It, it strives so much for that greatness. I mean. You know, if, if they maybe have only gotten the dimensions right on the movie, you know, maybe if it was, you know, 18 feet instead of 18 inches, it would have been better. Uh, you know, who knows? No Stonehenge reference there. Um, but uh, yeah, B plus for me as well. I mean, it's right there. Anything. You know, music plus the comedy. I mean, just equals greatness. Rob Reiner's uh, character, you know, talking about his love for the band, how he discovered them, and then, you know, going into how the band formed, you know, the, the through line that you get there, even though it is so sketchy. And a lot of this was ad-libbed, and it really shows. And you can just see the guys sometimes reaching for that next line, and, and it just it, – almost makes me want to even hang on the edge of my seat more like what in the world is going to come out of these guys mouth next <laughs> you know some of the scenarios and some of the situations um is is so much yeah like jamie was talking about the band dynamic that you have between the singer and the guitarist the bass player they do have the rotating drummers because you know strange things keep happening to their drummers <laughs> uh, i'm sure we'll get into that uh, here in a little bit but uh this is definitely uh, in the upper echelon, you know, of, of B plus. Yeah, I think if we were just rating on fun level, we're probably in an A range. But in terms of just pure quality, yeah. it's a solid B. It's more fun than it is actually good. Yeah, and you know, this to me, uh, I, I discovered this movie about the time I was discovering, uh, you know, Monty Python and Holy Grail and some other mm-hmm. things right in that era. So, you know, it's almost like Jamie said, it's almost like a communal movie. It's more fun to watch with people and to talk mm-hmm. about with people. You have so much more fun just exploring this and and making the jokes yourself. You know, just, just repeating them. You know, I kind of see this movie very similar to you mentioned Monty Python, I think Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. You know, there are those movies that are more fun when you have a number of people and especially if everybody's in on the gag and they can follow along and they know all the quotes. I think that, that, that would make this kind of movie fun. I think really fun. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, as uh, the stadium is filling up and the body heat starting to rise, let's turn on the fan. Maybe get some of this funk out of here. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. All Let's right. get early in the tour if there's a lot of bodies in this. <laughs> That's <laughs> correct. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was kind of early in the career there. Uh, okay, so uh, Sam, you're leading off with the fans. All right. So, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me that I loved was the flashback sequences. And I especially loved the black and white footage when they were the Timsman Timsman. playing Give Me Some Money. Um, It is such an homage to the Beatles. Okay. Um, And I think the most evident thing to me that stood out is that David is playing a Gibson J160E acoustic on stage. Okay, John Lennon is famous for playing that same guitar when he did when they did She uh, She Loves You at yeah, November 25th, 1963. I think it was like uh, the TV center in Manchester or something. The funny thing is that guitar was stolen soon after. So I'm wondering about David. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, is, is that not the, uh, the guitar you have, Sam? I've got the Epiphone version of it. So I don't have the Gibson, but it is it's it's an licensed. Epiphone J one sixty. Yeah. You're, you're licensed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder if there, I have I have a question and y'all may not answer this or not. Because I I kind of wondered because um so they do the the sort of the the early Beatles, you know, she loves you, yeah, 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 type scene. And then they do the flower children song scene, which you know the Beatles went through their flower power era. Yeah. And then they broke up, and then Lennon passed away. So part of me kind of wonders, are they saying, like, you know, maybe the Beatles would have went, you know, did a, a, a White Snake version of the Beatles if they lived in the 80s? <laughs> now, I, I was wondering, because it felt like a Beatles trajectory until we get to the 80s. And it's like, yeah, what were they saying? What are they implying? <laughs> How did these guys go this far off here? Well, well you know, I know the, the, the brilliance of musical content uh, that you, is referenced even by Fran Drescher. Uh, you know, she's talking about the record sales uh, is is not quite on par with the Beatles uh, as reference to the White Album there during mm-hmm. their uh, uh, during yeah. their release party. It just it made me curious what the Beatles connection was if they were if they <laughs> were you know trying to make a joke about that too. And I think during that hippie scene, wasn't there a sitar playing? It sounded like a sitar was playing, yeah. and that and you know Harrison would have brought that that in yeah. with the Beatles a lot. And so yeah, Nigel yeah Nigel uh, took the sixties uh, a sitar solo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the late '60s sitar solo. Was, yeah, I was curious about that. I know. Yeah, I got, I got kind of a Jefferson uh, airplane vibe from the from the Flower Power. So, yeah, yeah, that was the other one. But like the the early scene felt more Beatles. And I was wondering if yeah. there's like some kind oh. of like Beatles commentary there. I'm like, what? You know, I just wonder if there's like some underlying Beatles joke there. I I, I don't know. Anyway. Gotta wonder. Yeah, doing your next. I'm sorry. All right. Oh, that's fine. Um. You know, as much as I love the music, as much as I love all of the band interaction, uh, to me, this movie scored a 100 with not only the cast, but the cameos as well, because it is thick throughout. I mean, you, you, how, how much more perfect 
is, I mean, Nigel Tufnell. I mean, it, he's it's Christopher Guest. I mean, you know, I, I can't tell the two, you know, who's who's real and who's fake <laughs> sometimes, you know. Um, you know. The band is so great. But I love seeing all the cameos throughout this. You know, Sam mentioned, you know, Patrick McNee. You, know, you have Fran Drescher, Billy Crystal, a, a very young Dana Harvey mm-hmm. uh, as a mom. Uh, uh, you have, uh, you know, the gentleman from the Jeffersons, the neighbor. You have Fred Willard as the... Mm-hmm. Uh, at the airplanes. And I don't know if you guys noticed Paul Schaefer of the day uh-huh. and uh, was one of the tour manager was one of the tour liaison guys who come through. I forget his name. He kept uh, apologizing. Yeah, yeah, he kept apologizing. Well, just kick just kick me in the butt, guys. Just kick me in the rear end right here. Just kick me. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that's all my bad, man. You know. Uh, yeah, just so many great little cameos throughout uh, uh, the cast just just that blew me away. It's so rich, so full. I loved it. Uh, my fan is the decision they made at the core of this movie, because it would have been so easy to make this uh, an entire documentary about like, you know, musicians behaving badly, like sex, drugs and rock and roll for like the whole hour and 12 minutes. Um, they didn't do that. I mean, there's jokes here and there, but they don't lean into that, that kind of bad behavior. It's they, they instead, you know, chose the harder route. They didn't go with the easy tropes. Yeah. And so they, they chose to focus on the weird interpersonal relationships in, inside a band like this, the the weird politics that happen inside a, a group that's been together this long and, and that have that weird creative pretension thing going on. And they chose the harder route. And I think it made it a better movie and a funnier movie. And I think if, it, if they'd went with the easy, um, the easy pickings and the, just, just the easy tropes, I don't think it would have been as good a movie and it wouldn't have been as well remembered. It wouldn't have the staying power. Only yeah. the drummer went with that, though. <laughs> That's all the drummer was worried about. Yeah, but we didn't. But we didn't see a lot of it. You know what I mean, right? He talked about it a lot, but they still. I mean, they didn't go with it. I, I just. I, I, I was shocked, but I expected more sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And instead, I got you know Nigel and David bickering, and then you know the Yoko Ono of the group showing up, and that throwing a you know monkey wrench and everything. And that I was. I mean. I, it's kind of impressive. They chose that. That's a harder route. That that's not the you know the low hanging fruit to do. It it made it a better movie. Yeah. Yeah, very much. You know, the struggles uh, that they had, uh, you know, uh, being a failing group, you know, after being, I guess, at some point on on top of the world, at least in their own minds. Um, you know, but yeah, it was it was interesting to see that decline uh, and how how they were reacting and, and the creativity there was was great. OK, well, I think we need to just I don't know if we need to get some pans to beat off these groupies. Or what? But let's run to the kitchen and grab some pans. Okay, now that we're safely in the bus, the windows are up. Um, I'm uh, leading off with the pans, and and this is a thing I've, I have with with a lot of movies of this nature. I know uh, even with our uh, um, Christmas Vacation episode, it was a lot more sketchy. Than I remember it being. You know, you had a lot of little scenes that weren't really connected to anything. They they wove them through in a very good way, but it's it was so kind of sketchy at different times. And that's really a nitpick of mine. But you know, because this is what it is. It's very Saturday Night Liveish. It's very, you know, in that lampoon style. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's. I mean, it's, if I'm going to pick a nit, that's what it's going to be. Uh, I don't really have one. Um, I mean, this movie didn't completely knock my socks off, but 
I don't think it has any glaring flaws either. Yeah. Um, apparently, they had about, I don't know, eight, nine, ten hours of footage. But somehow, we only got an hour and 12-minute movie. <laughs> um, so, I'm, I think I might have just liked a little bit more movie. I think the runtime is a little too short. Yeah. It kind of, I mean, it's probably, it's probably better to leave you wanting than, you know, <laughs> than hanging on too long. But I just, I could use a little more. As we see with their career, supposedly. That's right. You just got to stay too long at the party. Uh, But I wonder if that was a a studio decision, uh, you know, with this movie being what it was. If the studio was just like, you know, hey, listen, you got to keep this thing under two hours. You know, we're we're giving you this hard line. Well, I was expecting like a 90-minute runtime. I mean, you know, 80s, you know, comedy. I mean, it's going to be 90 minutes. So I saw like 72 minutes. I was like, what's missing? <laughs> There's no way it's supposed to be this late. Yeah. Yeah. I well, wonder if, yeah. I wonder if the, stu- if the studio just is like, okay, here's, here's what you're getting. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's, it's weird. It's only right that, that we started an internet campaign for a director's cut. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> we want the 10 hour version. Well, well I mean, you guys. <laughs> Do you guys remember a uh, Spinal Taps release? Release the Reiner cut. In the 90s. <laughs> no. Yeah, they had it. They had it. They released another album in the 90s, uh, and they did a short little uh, doc, did a little short little thing, and the album was called Break Like the Wind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you know, I think with a pan for me. The toughest thing I, I believe with this is it's almost like it wasn't sure what it wanted to be. You got the idea that these were actors, but you couldn't follow it like a regular movie. So it's like some parts were very documentary. Some parts felt more like a movie. Um, and it's almost like you didn't know what to watch. That that tenuous back and forth, I think. You know, as a moviegoer, you're looking for arts and continuity and things like that. But with the documentary, you're just looking for information, uh, you know, information about the band. And I think that back and forth can be a little jarring. Uh, I think for me as a, a first watch, it was a bit jarring just trying to figure out what kind of lens should I be watching this movie under, you know, kind of deal. So, <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, I can see that because you know you do have the the interview sections, and then you know they're in different scenarios. You know, a couple times they're in a coffee shop. Sometimes they're like you know the drummer in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> then then you know they're they're at the, in the at, like out in the garden. Then you have them just like you following them on tour. You know, sometimes the camera is really shaky and handy cam and sometimes it's real smooth, you know, and, and it, it is a little, little back and forth like that. And, and think about it. Wasn't it within one musical montage that we changed drummers like three times, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're pretty the early same on. song, you know, yeah. and it's just like every time it flips, the drummer is different. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Oh, my favorite drummer of theirs was uh, Ed Bigley Jr. <laughs> yeah, Pete Stumpy Joe or something. It was a good look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. You want to give us some awards? Let's give out some awards. Take a trip 
down memory lane to the old five and dime, where Sammy, a.k.a. Comic Book Kid, takes a look at the origin of some of our favorite heroes and villains in his podcast, One Thin Dime, focusing on the golden and silver ages of comics, when the cover price was just 10 cents. Check him out every week on your podcast feed of choice, One Thin Dime. All right, uh, best performance, I think there's three right answers, and you can throw a dart at any of them, and I'm, I'm, and I'm happy. Um, I'm going to go with Michael McKeon, though. I, I really enjoyed his sort of pretentious leader of the group kind of feel. Mm-hmm. And he gave off the right sort of like, I'm trying to be the leader of the band, but I'm also a complete space cadet thing. <laughs> and I just, I, I enjoyed the way he played that. You know, I, I'm kind of right there with you, Jamie. Uh, I went Michael McKeon also. And part of that is, you know, really, when you think about it, this is the second time we've had Michael McKeon in a movie. He was in Clue also. So this is our, our second Michael McKeon movie. Uh, but, you know, every time I see him, I see Lenny from Laverne and Shirley. And <laughs> I just, you know, to, to see him in a different role, and especially a role like this, um, I just, I thought he did really well. And, you know, I, I found, as I was doing some research, I found it really funny. This isn't the, the first kind of mock album he released, he also released in 1979 Lenny and the Squig Tones, which <laughs> included, oh, just wait, at guitar, as guitar is listed, Nigel Tufnell is listed as guitar on Lenny and the Squig Tones. And it's Christopher <laughs> Guest. And the keyboard is Murphy Dunn, Murph Dunn from the Blues Brothers band on that. So he's listed as Lars Svinky. Um, but so, so this idea of a, a mock album and things isn't new to Michael McKeon. So I was thought that was kind of neat. Well, he was a, he had been, he was a musician before he was an actor. Like he mm-hmm. was in like that that early scene where they're doing like the you know fifties you know bop whatever they were doing. He was in one of a band like that. They had a couple of like you know small hits. Mm. So yeah, I think that's a really cool thing. These guys actually did play. Mm-hmm. You know, and and made it happen, but uh, I'm I'm not going with the guitar player. I loved Harry Shearer's portrayal of the bass player, <laughs> Derek Smalls. <laughs> um, I, I I love his just kind of out there, disconnected. Is he is he high? Is he just not the sharpest crown in the drawer? Is he just warm water? Yeah, I mean, and and he's such a great actor. Anyway, he's you know, and to to do what he does, and to play opposite of you know the comedy coming off of Michael McKeon and and Christopher Guest, and just to flow right with it. I mean, he done an, a superb job. He's he's I smile every time he's on screen. Mm, okay. Good in airports too. <laughs> as long as there's no metal detector. That's right. <laughs> or maybe a space if there's a metal detector. All right, Sammy, what's your best scene? All right. You know, th- this was kind of tough 
you know, because there's so many scenes I think that stand out. But I think the one that that cracked me up just because of the audacity of it, just how off the wall and, and almost farcical was Nigel complaining over the tray food and the size <laughs> of the bread, you know. <laughs> And, and Ian has tried to explain to him, the road manager tried to, well, okay, you know, this is, it, it's a college campus. I mean, come on, you know, and he's like, but, but you can't make a sandwich out of this. Look, look how small the bread is, you know, <laughs> and fold it over. Me, yeah, that, that is where it feels the most Monty Python is in moments like those, those little, like I said, farcical bits that that feels so Python in those areas. So, but I like that one. Oh yeah, I, I, I like the way you played it too. Like it's not a big deal, but it's a big deal, and it bothers me. <laughs> yeah, but I'm a professional. I'll go on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, I'm I'm uh, going with another uh, completely farcical scene, and probably one of the most famous scenes from the movie. And you'll understand why when I get a little bit into it. But the whole scene of um, Nigel's uh, guitar t- collection and uh, his little gear tour there, you know, he's and he's going through. And I mean, legitimately, if as uh, what he's saying about some of those instruments really are, you know, that that Gibson Les Paul 1959. I mean, you're talking, you know, uh, some of the greatest albums and players in history on that model guitar, you know, the 59 uh, Les Paul, um, 600,000. Maybe today, those things go for um, you know that that Fender Bass Six um, that he won't allow him even to look at or point at, uh, you know. With uh, don't, don't point at it. Yeah, it, 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 and it has the clay. Uh, one of the things it has the clay dots on the neck. It has the clay fret markers on the neck, and as the wood would shrink and the clay would dry out, they would fall out, and they would constant you know replacement or maintenance or whatever and those things are so rare uh, even to be mint condition and you know some of the amplifiers and and guitars just just hanging in the background are so such iconic instruments and then of course the amp that goes to 11 <laughs> you know and and marshall did issue an amp that went to 11 uh, at one point uh, I'm, I'm sure just because of that scene so uh, you know that that actually is a thing but you know it there is a, there is an amp that goes to 11 <laughs> and and i love you know just like sammy was talking about with the pretentiousness of the bread you know and the and the craziness you know that these rock bands would get into backstage you know it's one more than 10 well, can't you just make 10 louder? But but this is one more than 10. More than <laughs> 10. You can have, you can have more wattage or whatever, but it's still, it's still, it's one more than 10. You know, it's just, it's just that perception and, and how, and how these, and I've even had some old musicians and stuff, you know, they'll, they'll get into these little, little ruts of just something has to be a certain way, you know? And I, and I guess it's just, you know, it's just, it's just one more than 10, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think it also goes back to your uh, comment about him may not may maybe not being the sharpest crayon in the box, right? <laughs> Whether it's that's natural or from you know you know sex, drugs, and rock and roll since 1960, whatever you know, <laughs> who knows how that happens? But <laughs> exactly, uh, mine is a scene that I can't believe they earned. So at the end of the movie, when Nigel jumps on stage at the end, it's ridiculous that this silly movie gets to have anything resembling. An emotional moment. I mean, it's and it's not it's not Rudy getting into the game at the end of the movie. It's not that level. 
It's not me ugly crying at the end of Interstellar. But it did put a smile on my face, and I couldn't believe how much like emotional payoff there was when Nigel got up there. It, it shouldn't have been a thing, but it was. So that, that, I don't know how they got there. I don't know how they made me feel that. But that, that has to be the best scene, because I was so surprised at how that scene made me feel. I don't understand it. There's, a, there's, a, there's an alchemy going on. But. It, I, think it's, I think what it is, is I think most of us can connect to a band that maybe we've liked that broke up and then the moment they get back together and you get to see them play again. And, and I, I think at, at a base level, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said earlier, Jamie, instead of this being just, uh, you know, I know this movie uh, we were talking about earlier is pushing even our family friendliness, you know, of kind of the movies we re- normally review, but I'm going to push it a little bit further, you know, instead of it being just a dick and fart joke you know, through the whole movie. Uh, you know, they actually did deal with the relationships. They did deal with the mm-hmm. dynamics of interpersonally. And, you know, when you see David on stage and he starts nodding over to him. And I was like, really? You mean me? You, really? You mean me? Is there somebody behind me? No, it's, you mean me? And, and he steps <laughs> on stage and you're just like, yes! You know, it's it, it it's it's a payoff. It's, they, they earned it. I, I, I agree with you. They totally earned that. I'm not sure they did, but it still worked. Oh, no, they are. They, are, they, they worked for it. They, they improvised their way all the way there, yeah. But, uh, you know, that, that goes with my favorite character. Nigel Tufnell, the crazy guitar player, Christopher Guest. Uh, he is a character. And, uh, you know, from, from the minute he's doing his crazy solos and he's, you know, he, he turns on the one guitar and just starts banging it with his foot. And then instead of, you know, playing the guitar with the violin bow, he's going, you know, just like the amp, he's going one further. He's playing the guitar with the violin. You know, he's, he's just so ridiculous. He's out there with this massive, heavy gold top Les Paul. And he leans back and falls back and he can't get back up. You know, the, the roadie has to come and help him, you know. You know, he's on stage with these armadillos in his trousers, and it's just crazy, crazy rock. I love it. I love his character. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll jump in because I picked the same guy. I mean, he's so pretentious and shallow, <laughs> but still kind of good-natured, you know? And, you, and he kind of bumbles through life with a smile on his face. And I just, I mean, life has to be easy for, you know, a guy like that. <laughs> You know, <laughs> a little bit of jealousy there because, you know, he's not aware enough of the world's problems to be brought down by them. So, I mean, yeah. like, you know, All right. Nigel, I like you. All right. So, so I kind of took Dwayne's performance and brought to my character. I went with Derek Smalls as my character. All right. Uh, Harry Shearer. But the thing is, though, you know, yeah, he's kind of got this. Lemmy Killmeister vibe with the stash and the chops, right? You know, we kind of can connect that with uh, Lemmy. But I think that there's a lot more underneath there. I don't think he's quite as dim as sometimes he comes across. The fact that he looks like this, but he's smoking this calabash pipe, (laughs) all right? There is a cultured (laughs) British gentleman underneath there. And then, not not only, but he compares Nigel and David to Shelley and Byron. He yeah. is well-read, all right? <laughs> he, 
He's just playing silly for a bass guitar dude, okay? <laughs> but he finished it with saying they were firing ice and he's somewhere in between, lukewarm water. Lukewarm. He's like, well, he's lukewarm water, you know? <laughs> it, it, it was a metaphor, man. It was a metaphor. <laughs> tempers it (laughs) our next award is best quote and it's near the end of the movie and it's just one of those it was such a perfect pretentious rock star quote that i I wanted to go with it and so at the end of the movie or near the end a reporter asked david if this is the end of spinal tap and his response is just the perfect pretentious rambling rock star thing that i wanted to i wanted to read it in its entirety well, I don't really think that the end can be assessed as of itself as being the end because what does the end feel like? It's like saying when you try to extrapolate the end of the universe, you say, if the universe is indeed infinite, then how? what does that mean? How far is all the way? And then if it stops, what's stopping it? And what's behind what's stopping it? So what's the end, you know, is my question to you. <laughs> just, I was just blown away by how spot on pretentious, you know, front man that was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and there, there's a lot of those t- little quotes like that. You know, um, the little piece of dialogue I chose was some dialogue between David and Nigel. David says, it's such a fine line between stupid and, and Nigel comes in, clever. David <laughs> responds, yeah, and clever. <laughs> That was almost mine. <laughs> I, I almost went with that one, but there's there's I mean, there's so many great ones in this movie. But I love they're sitting around there going off about the Stonehenge debacle, and and Derek, the bass player, says, "Just have a practical question: Are we going to do Stonehenge tomorrow night?" <laughs> So of course we're not going to do Stonehenge tomorrow. <laughs> well, That's I mean, another I mean, one of those scenes. That let's just get to business. Yeah, let, let me just get to business here. You know, he's like you said, he's just a little bit smarter than maybe uh, maybe he's uh, letting on there. But is he though? Because he's still wondering if they're going to do Stonehenge tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, aside from the size of the uh, monument, uh, the song went well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, his idea was though was to get the little people to dance further away from further the tiny. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they won't trot it underfoot if they dance further away. Further away. <laughs> I'm not sure what's in that pipe that he's smoking. <laughs> you gotta wonder. <laughs> Quite right. a mixture. All right, Sammy, what was your hardest life? Well, I think we're going to stick with uh, Derek for a moment because him stuck in the cocoon. During the concert, while still trying to play his licks, man, he's still trying to eat. And then he gets out right at the end of the song. Tries to get back in and get stuck. stuck. I laugh so hard at that. Just because the little roadie, he's got the torch behind (laughs) And Derek just keeps trying to play. So, yeah. 
Well, I'm I'm gonna jump in because something we've already referenced over and over again. But it, I can't I can't shift from it because it's the right answer for me. It's everything involving Stonehenge, but it's especially the moment when you see the the the, the musician's face when the little the little <laughs> the little set piece drops and you see Michael McKeon just looking at astonishment, <laughs> just baffled at what's happening. Like, really. And then when the two little people come out dressed like Santa's elves and start dancing, I I just I lost it. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I could not believe what I was seeing. When they came out, I just I, that was it. <laughs> it's remember, fine line between stupid and clever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite a meta thing there. <laughs> Yeah, that is very possibly even the right answer. Uh, uh, one of the things I laughed the hardest about, though, was uh, at the last show in Japan. But before that, you have a little bit of setup. You have Nigel's radio unit, you know, malfunctioning, picking up the uh, the interference from the radio station, the air traffic controllers and stuff. I, I've had similar things happen in the early days of, of wireless units uh, having to close. And I actually had an old fender and I kick myself daily. I wake up in the morning and I thank God that I'm awake. And then I kick myself in the rear end for selling an old fender amp that I had. Um, we found, wound up finding out much later how much it was actually worth. But uh, yeah. Um, and uh, when one of the tubes started messing up in the back of it, you would pick up a radio station if it was turned up loud enough. So you know, I'd, I'd be playing my licks, and then you'd hear, you know, George Warren on WXJC, you know, uh, <laughs> coming in there uh, talking about the the swap shop. And but uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, when that radio pack starts messing up, you know, and they're they're in Japan, they're they're at the reunion, everything is on top of the world for them. They're back together, and he goes up for this solo. And then you just hear this Japanese radio station breaking into it. And I, I love that 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 is just cracked me up every time. That's just that's my hardest laugh. <laughs> well, our last award is the heart of what this movie is: best spoof slash parody. Dwayne, yeah. what you got? Well, Sam's already referenced it. Um, I love the pod situation. <laughs> the 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 parody, you know, of the band. They're they're you know they're trying to figure out this theatrical entrances you know to their to their art to their music and the malfunction there you know just how it can go wrong on 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 a stage and how anything that can go wrong will go wrong missed cues something not turning on right something not being turned on a hydraulic not opening your pod when you're supposed to exit you know <laughs> um and you know it's like him playing the entire song from the inside and then he finally gets out and realizes oh it's the end of the song gotta get back in and it slams <laughs> on him and the kachong with the bass you know <laughs> over the over the pa at that final instant you know and he just and what what else can you do Behold your arm up in triumph, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, once again, mine is one we've already referenced. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the flashbacks and seeing the band going through stage, stages, trying desperately to stay relevant, mm-hmm. and just all all the fads they tried to latch on to, just to just to just to stay relevant and to stay and to the point now they're doing you know <laughs> this band that was like a you know, whatever that was called, bebop or whatever from, from the fifties. And now they're trying to do like an, 
aging version of White Snake or whatever. I mean, just I got a kick out of just how desperate they got and how much they resented the young star in the hotel. I just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got I got a kick out of that. Oh yeah. Yes. Well, you know, we, we've made some Beatles references, but uh, the the best parody spoof I pulled out was Janine Pettibone as Spinal Taps Yoko. Um, you know, not that I blame Yoko, mind you, but uh, <laughs> just the way that uh, it kind of played her breaking up the friendship between David and Nigel. You know, that to me alluded a lot to, you know, Paul and John's relationship. You know, it's kind of where that kind of to me pulled to. And I kept looking at Janine going, I know I've seen her somewhere. Where have I seen her? And then I realized when I saw her name, June Chadwick, that she was on V the series uh, back in the day. And oh, I was wow. like, I knew I remembered her from somewhere. So I started searching and I was like, oh, that's where I remember her from. So, yep. <laughs> I thought it familiar, but I forgot to look it up. Thank you for doing that. Yep. She was, <laughs> she was in V the TV series. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I know, guys, we've talked a lot about bass players on this episode. And, uh, you know, we have a favorite bass player in a band called Dog Star. If you're not following me so far, we're talking about Keanu, our Keanu. Though his life hopefully will never be a parody, how does he connect to this parody, Jamie? I was pleasantly surprised to discover that the actors in this movie were all actually musicians. And that they weren't going to be doing that awkward, you know, cutaway thing that too many of these kind of movies have to do because the actors have no have no idea what to do with their instruments. Uh, and then is indeed one of these actors slash musicians that is this week's Keanu connection. I felt that was appropriate because Keanu is himself a uh, musician, as Dwayne already stole my thunder on my uh, prepared statement here. Um, <laughs> but the fellow this week has done so much work for so long, but I have noticed going through the filmography that he has shown a willingness to stay in the realms of the nerdy. For example, he was recently on Good Omens. He's done so much voice work for DC. He was on Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, He was on Batman Beyond, The New Batman Adventures. Uh, He was also on Smallville, Alias. Took a turn on Mad TV and SNL. He was in Clerks. (laughs) This dude should be low-key nerd royalty. Besides being in Spinal Tap. Matter of fact, the only problem I see with his track record is there's a whole lot of DC and zero Marvel. (laughs) Don't know what that's about, but there's still time. He's still a working actor. But to make our connection this week, (laughs) this is a reach, guys. I'm sorry. Michael McKeon was a guest on Headbangers Ball on MTV in 1992. (laughs) In 2003... Keanu was a guest on Total Request Live. (laughs) So Michael McKeon and two random disconnected by decades MTV appearances are this week's highly tangential Keanu today. I can't even. (laughs) I can't even. That's what I had, guys. Oh, I can't even deal. Oh. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's great. That's great. And I, I can totally see him. Yeah, with the with the yeah, they were on 
Headbangers Ball. I remember that being a thing. Spent many late night hours on Headbangers Ball. <laughs> it, it was a reach. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was our episode of uh, Spinal Tap. Hope you guys enjoyed. Hope uh, you had as much fun listening as we did talking about it and watching the movie. Um, next week, we have uh, one of our holiday episodes. Um, if you haven't already, guys, you might want to get off your butt. Valentine's Day's coming up. Um, you want to get something uh, scheduled or bought or on, on the way from Amazon or something. But uh, we are reviewing... High fidelity. Now we uh, hopefully we're gonna work some some nice things out with this. Uh, I'm talking about the 2000 movie with uh, John Cusack, uh, Jack Black, uh, a lot of uh, was, was Catherine Zeta in this one? I don't. I don't know. I she was, she Lisa was in one Lisa Bonet was in there. Yeah, she was in one of those John Cusack movies back in the day, um, but. Uh, yeah, I'm not not getting a lot of that there. So uh, I've done a little bit of digging on this. It is available on HBO Max, uh, $3.99 rental most places. So uh, High Fidelity, 2000. It's not the new show. It's the old yeah. movie. <laughs> and, so. and, of course, this is the return of human vanilla for Jamie. <laughs> jo- yeah, I was, I was worried about that. Yeah, well. never seen this one before. That was a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we dig out our HBO Max or our old DVD copies of this movie, Jamie, what are we going to do? We're all going to learn to love vanilla as we keep it nerdy. <laughs>